Good morning, Threshold. I love the way that Gabe launched us off last week in this uh, two-week mini-series about generosity and uh, about abundance. And, and Gabe started with the idea of, of the pizza, right? Like, you talk about a scarcity mentality versus an abundance mentality. And you start out with the scarcity and you think, there's a pizza, and, and every time that somebody is standing up and eating it, um, I'm losing my chance to get my final piece. I think of a conversation our family had in the car just yesterday, and we were reflecting back on Christmas. And I just gotta, uh, just gotta publicize this. My mom makes the best peanut butter fudge in the history of the world. And we, she always does around Christmas time. And so, so uh, this particular year, we had a lot of people around the house that are growing and have much larger appetites than they used to have. And so the, the peanut butter fudge just kind of disappeared this year. And I found myself in that scarcity mentality of, no! It's going to be gone. What is our default mentality? Is it an abundance mentality or is it a scarcity mentality? Gabe said last week, our heavenly father is the source of unlimited abundance. When we know that God is going to keep providing for us, we can share it with others. God's going to keep bringing it so you can keep giving it. I want to start about taking the next step and talking about how we can be inspired to generosity. And I think there's an amazing section of scripture at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that really works together as a unit. So I want to invite you to, to open 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. We're not going to go through the whole thing. We're just going to get a few bite-sized pieces to get the general idea. Um, but these are two great chapters that talk about the idea of abundance and of generosity. And we see the Apostle Paul, who's very involved in, in uh, attending to a very specific problem, a very specific situation, which was related to the famine that, that existed that time in, uh, among Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. When I think of the word famine, what, do you, what comes to your mind? I was thinking about this this past week, and, and typically the images that we might have in our minds could relate to all the famines that we hear about and places like Africa, and that's been where the majority of those famines have happened over the last many decades. I remember earlier, uh, even a conversation right before the service, we talked about the idea of the, the Ethiopian famine in the 80s, and how the great song, We Are the World, was composed in this amazing effort with this, this focus to provide food for people desperately in need in Ethiopia. But I worry that sometimes maybe we think about famine and we think, you know, that's maybe distant, that's, that's way over there. Um, and I started to think maybe how has famine perhaps impacted some of us? And I, don't, I have no idea what the answer to this question would, is going to be, but how many of you are from Irish descent? Raise your hands. There's, okay, I knew that there's a smattering, right? Okay, good. Okay, so maybe uh, 25, 20, 25%, something like that. So what's interesting about um, those of us who have Irish descent, I'm one-eighth Irish, uh, here in the United States, the Irish had the potato famine in the 1840s and 1850s. It was profoundly impacting in that nation. Literally, like a quarter of the population died because of that famine. 
as a result of that famine, a bunch of people just flat out left. And where do they go? Here, to the United States. Chances are, those of us who have Irish descent in this room are probably here today, directly or indirectly, as a result of that particular famine in the past. So I want that to maybe feel a little bit more near. So as we look at, about, as we look at the Jewish Christians who were in Jerusalem in about 41 to 54 AD, this was a group of people that were suffering through a tremendous famine. They were short on food. They couldn't provide for their basic needs. And Paul was greatly impacted by that. And he said, we must fix this. In fact, when the section of scripture that Paul says, they asked me to always remember the poor. A lot of people think that that's what was related to this famine. And so Paul, is, as he then journeys throughout what's today all of Turkey and what's today much of Greece, he was preaching the gospel. Paul was planting churches. And guess what else he was doing along the way? He was raising money because there was this famine and he saw it that it desperately needed attending to. So Paul was committed to helping these, these people out. If you look at the book of Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Acts, Philippians, all these letters throughout Scripture, all these books of the Bible, have reference to this, this specific effort to raise funds. Paul was a fundraiser. And they, you would ask, well, why did he do it? And really, there were two issues at play. Paul, on the one end, said, these people desperately need food. we got to provide for them. But on the, on the other side, Paul was saying, you know what? We've, we've developed these divisions within Christianity, Paul said. And, and you're a Jew and you're a Gentile. You're a Jewish Christian and you're a Gentile Christian. And because, because of this division, there's all kinds of mess going on in the church. And part of the reason that Paul wanted to see this offering happen is he saw it as an opportunity to bring unity to a divided church. All right, I want to take a quick break here. What day is today? Sunday. What day is today, really? Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> All right, so how many Kansas City fans do we have in the audience? Raise your hand or give, give a shout. Kansas City. How many vote for Kansas City? That, that's, that's, okay, some are excited. How, how many of you are going for, for San Francisco? All right, there, there we go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how many don't care? <laughs> Three teams equally represented, I think. So I, I think, you know, it's fun as we talk about the Super Bowl, as we talk about, there, competition can be either a good thing or a bad thing, right? There's a positive side to competition, and there's a negative side to competition. Think about the negative side, right? I grew up in the state of Iowa, and that's why I'm kind of mixed, mixed feelings for this uh, Super Bowl because on the one end, Kansas City's kind of, a, you know, we went to a few games growing up. And on the other hand, uh, Kansas, uh, San Francisco has Brock Purdy, who was from Iowa State. And so we're excited about that. But you think about negative competition. I remember growing up, 
uh, there was this t-shirt that was being sold. My parents both went to Iowa State University, so we grew up big Cyclone fans. And they'd sell these t-shirts, and the t-shirt said, I have two favorite teams. Probably have seen variations on this. Number one, Iowa State. Number two, whoever plays Iowa. <laughs> you know, there's that friendly, you know, you know, we poke at each other among rivals. That's cool, that's fun, that's no big deal. But there's also the dark side of personal rivalries, right? Where we can maybe secretly root against people. That's the negative side of competition. The positive side of competition is we see somebody do something. And I love when you can watch a game where this happens. And one person does this amazing play. And the very next play, the other team does an even more amazing play. And those are the funnest games to watch. That positive competition is what can stir up in us and we say, hey, he or she did that. I can do that too. It spurs me on. It spurs you on to be better people, better followers of Jesus, better at your work, better at your school. That positive competition, it can be that positive competition which can lead us to the idea of saying, all right, hey, that was a great idea that my friend had. That inspires me to think of even a better idea. That's awesome. That's positive competition. That's a good thing. So it's interesting that not only do we see competition in our world, but we also see it in the early church. So I want to go, um, we were talking about the Super Bowl. I want to bring up the Generosity Bowl. All right, so, so if you were to look deeply at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, you have two teams, and they're all on the same team because they're all churches, they're all followers of Jesus. But Paul is addressing the, the believers, the church at where? Corinth? He's addressing the church at Corinth, and he's referencing the church in Macedonia. And he's going to start playing these people off of each other. And, and uh, I know that Bryn and I had a, had a conversation yesterday, and I'm excited to have him use his giftings uh, and, and to paint during the service. And, and the idea is, you know, the, the helmets and the, the competition. And certainly, I look forward to Bryn's idea of competition and, and, uh, the, between those two churches. And we're going to hear from him at the end of the service. But I think of... Okay, the competition between Macedonia and Corinth. What were these places? Well, if you go back to the early church, you had Greece, and Greece kind of was divided into two areas. The north of Greece was Macedonia. The south of Greece was uh, Achaia. Achaia. And so uh, north is Macedonia, the south is Achaia. And those are the two different regions. And in Achaia, you had two very important cities. You had one, you had Athens. Everybody knows Athens. You also had Corinth. We're familiar with Corinth. And Corinth was a wealthy city. It was a big market team. They had everything. They were sophisticated. They, were, they had a lot of wealth. Macedonia was poor. They were a small market team. As Bryn and I were talking about this yesterday, we are saying, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you compare what would be the giving possibilities of Bank of America versus the giving possibilities of Threshold Church, right? It was a big disparity. Let's look at what 
Paul begins to share in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. And here's where we see this, this positive competition, this kingdom competition happening. Paul says the following, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. As you look at this church, this poor church in Macedonia, what's today northern Greece, some of the Balkan countries, as you look at this church in Macedonia, they didn't have much to give. When the first apostles, Paul and his team, when they went there to share the gospel, the very first thing that happened was persecution. And if you started to follow Jesus in Macedonia at that time, you were almost immediately persecuted. This was a church going through difficult, difficult times. They didn't have wealth to begin with. And on top of that, they had to spend their time kind of watching their back because they were being constantly persecuted. Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, you know, this church in Macedonia was originally inspired by you, Corinth. They heard how generous you were. They heard how excited you were to give. And they were so inspired by that that even they didn't, though they didn't have any money themselves, they said, whatever we do have, it's yours. We're in. And then Paul says, guys, they got so excited. Don't forget to fulfill your pledge. <laughs> they were the ones that inspired you now you can be inspired by them. Be like this church. So the first thing that Paul was saying to the church in Corinth, be inspired by others. Be inspired by others' faith. Second thing Paul said, be inspired to generosity by seeking to excel in it. Keep in mind, people of Corinth, they were sophisticated. They had a lot of stuff. They were wise. They were well-educated. They had so much. And they sought to excel in so many things. So Paul writes this. He says, So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And this is where Paul leans in. He says, Since you excel in everything... Corinthians, since you're good at everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in what? In the grace of giving. Sometimes the best way to compete is to compete with yourself. What was your personal best? What did you do in the past that you could do again? Paul says, be inspired to generosity by seeking to excel in it, Corinthians. 
Paul also says, be inspired to generosity by Jesus. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 through 9. I'm not commanding you, Paul says, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Paul says, be inspired to generosity by Jesus. Who's the richest person in the world? Anybody know? Elon Musk. Do you know what Elon Musk's net value is? $202 billion. $202 billion. Now, it's kind of silly to convert, like, the net worth. What would be the net worth of Jesus, right? I mean, it's silly. We should, probably shouldn't do that. But like, at the, I, I wanted to do the thought experiment just to think about how, mu- how wealthy Jesus actually would have been. So how many of you have studied like high numbers? How many of you, like I haven't, I haven't taken a math class since college first year, but here's a, here was my best effort at understanding the concept of some of these big numbers. Okay. So if we thought about Jesus being a trillionaire, all right, if, what, if, what if Jesus were a trillionaire? Do you know how long, it, how long it would take for you and me to count up to a trillion? Have you an idea? 31,000 years. It would take that long for us to count up to a trillion. Do you know what's after a trillion? Of course, a zillion, right? No, that, that number doesn't even exist. It's kind of funny. A quadrillion. A quadrillion is one with 15 zeros after it. Do you know how Google got its name? So one of the largest numbers out there is a Google. And a Google is literally one with 100 zeros after it. You also have a number called a Googleplex. And that number, Googleplex, is greater than the total number of atoms in the universe. How much money does Jesus have? I mean, when we think about the greatness of God, how big God is, isn't it just mind-blowing? How many zeros would have been in Jesus' bank account if we were to humanize and put it in our limited terms? But what Jesus did is he was sitting at the right hand of God and he came down to, he left the Father to be here on this earth. And he lived not as the poorest of the poor, but he lived as an ordinary human being in a geographically limited space of the world. He left all those riches to come into absolute relative poverty to walk on this earth. We can be inspired to generosity through Jesus. Note that Paul's not indifferent. As he's fundraising, he really wants this thing to happen. I want to look at 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 5. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, he says. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, and 
Ikea, you were already, you were ready to give and your enthusiasm stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and to finish the arrangements for the gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Paul had been bragging about this church. And he says to his friends, guys, don't let me down. You're an amazing church. Don't let me down. He wanted to see that offering fulfilled. All right. So we talk about how that church in Corinth could be inspired. How can we as threshold be inspired? I want to land the plane for us. So I'll go through a, a few thoughts here. First of all, let's, go, let's look at uh, what God has already done here. And let's maybe compete against ourselves for a moment. I think this is an amazing story. Do you know which block we're on today currently? The Lord has raised up $60,000 among this amazing group of people to be able to better outfit our children's ministry. And just as Lynn was talking about earlier, we have an incredible children's ministry, people who are extremely dedicated. And one of the things that we know is this space serves us to continue to grow as an adult worshiping space, right? That space needed to grow. God's at work. Praise the Lord for what he's doing. There's been great progress. All right, let's look at another place where I think we can look at how God has been at work in Threshold Church over time. So how many of you have been to Henderson Settlement in Kentucky? Raise your hand, be interested to see. Like a, a smattering of you and a great number of people have been to Kentucky over the years and have served in this service project. We also have many other partners that we serve locally here as Threshold. Room in the end, room above, using the, uniting the community to end homelessness. Common heart. Uh, Amy Russo was telling us the other day that back, you know, back a, a few years back, there were literally, Threshold would win the trophy every single year, right? Because God used this church to raise a tremendous amount of funds for common heart, praise the Lord. I think about another local partner, which is uh, Young Life. And isn't it amazing that it's, uh, it hasn't often been a, a financial gift, although we're able to at, at Christmas time, but the blessing of being able to loan this space to 50, 60 high school kids who can come here to learn more about Jesus through Young Life every Monday night. Praise the Lord for the generosity through Threshold. So I just want to give, let's give ourselves a hand. That's pretty cool. God's at work. Let's look at some global partners that God has used, uh, where God has used Threshold. Wycliffe is a ministry that contributes to Bible translation around the world. It's hard to believe sometimes, but there are many different languages where they don't yet have Scripture where they can't read the Bible in their own language. 
Isn't it amazing that we've had two people here who've been dedicated to the ministry of Wycliffe for decades so that the gospel could advance, so that more and more people could see God's word? This church has contributed to the advance of Wycliffe. Praise the Lord. Another ministry listed up on the board. Uh, Samaritan's Purse and uh, Christmas, the Christmas Child Offering. How many, many different people. I know that there's so many different boxes that are collected here. Every Christmas time, people here at Threshold who are committed to saying, yeah, we want to contribute something so that others can be blessed during the Christmas season. What a great ministry. Another global partner that we have is Puente de Esperanza. It's a church in Costa Rica, and uh, Jeffrey Prieto, many of you have probably gone and visited that ministry and have been a part of that, that church's growth. We had a chance, a few of us, to talk with Jeffrey a few weeks, uh, a couple months ago. And Jeffrey said, you as Threshold have been such a key part with your teams and with your generosity to helping our church get off the ground and grow. Praise the Lord for what he's done in Threshold and through Threshold. Those are our global partners. As we think about the theme of generosity, I think we can all be inspired by how, over time, Threshold has sought to excel in generosity. Let's go to the next slide. I also think it's good for us to take a little bit of a look as well. What are other churches doing? What are other followers of Jesus doing that could inspire us to be even more faithful in the area of giving? Uh, this, this photo is of a woman. She's a, she was a former nurse. And it's an amazing story. We, through, I work with uh, a, a ministry called United World Mission. We have ministries in 50 different countries around the world. That's my full-time role. Um, and it's incredible to be able to see what God's at work doing in Africa and Asia and Europe and Latin America. It's a real privilege. This uh, is the story of something that happened on the field in Africa. This woman's name is Iris. And she had a good friend, and her name was Mary, and they went to nursing school together. They both took two different career paths. Iris decided that she would live out her profession here in the United States. She was a nurse in the United States. Mary was a nurse, and she decided that she would serve Jesus in Africa as a nurse. And over the course of Mary's ministry in Africa, Iris decided to give a couple different times, a few different times, very modest gifts. So over the course of her lifetime, Iris gave roughly $600 to see the advancement of God's kingdom in Africa. Can we say praise the Lord? That's a wonderful investment. When Iris dies, she never got married. She never had kids. Iris passed away. She left an estate. In that estate, she had saved up one million dollars. At the end of her life, she gave two gifts. 
after she passed away. The first gift was to her local church in Florida. The second work was to our mission and the work of the gospel in Africa. Praise the Lord. What amazing generosity through a visionary woman deciding that she wanted to invest her estate in the advancement of God's kingdom. John Wesley comes from a different tradition than our tradition here in, in, uh, in the Reformed tradition, but Wesley says something uh, I think is quite challenging. He says, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Wesley gave a message. He preached a sermon on this, and the first, his first point being, earn all you can. It's like, as a Christian, it's no problem for you to earn tons of money. Go for it. Do it ethically, but absolutely, earn as much as you can. And Wesley said, you know, I've noticed over time, most of our people don't necessarily have a big problem with the first one. They're seeking to earn all they can. Then Wesley said, you know, less of our people are good at the second one. Save all you can. There are so many temptations, right, to buy. People are spending millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads. Why? Because they work. <laughs> we spend money. And Wesley said, you know, we're really good at earning all you can. We're really we're okay at saving all you can. Where we can grow. How about this perspective of giving absolutely all that we can? I think of a couple of experience, personal experiences that Rocio and I had as, when we were serving with our church in Mexico City. We loved the Alpha program. And Alpha is a program that, that talks, it shares the gospel with people who don't yet know the faith, who are, who are asking questions, they're beginning to seek who Jesus is. And so we loved doing the Alpha program, typically with groups of students from a nearby university. And so one day we threw out the challenge in our church. We said, hey, we want to do this program, but it's good. We, we need to do it bigger because the spaces that we have don't fit. We need to rent this space. And so we shared, Here, this is going to cost us this amount of money. Would you pray about giving money so that we can do this alpha program and renting this space? guess what? The Lord tapped on the shoulder of two different people who came forward and said, we will fund this outreach program. By God's grace, we were able to reach a whole generation of, of graduate students at a nearby university because of this opening of the space to share the gospel through the Alpha program. God was at work. Think of another example. We just as threshold for many years was renting space at a local YMCA or privileged to be able to have that kind of space. We were renting space uh, for our church in Mexico City. And it was a heavy burden because most, a, a large part of our weekly offering had to go to pay for that space. We had no other choice. That was the cost of, of of having a church in that, in that area. One day, one of our friends comes up to us and says, hey, we know 
that this investment is a very significant one. We know it takes a chunk of the church's budget. We will pay ourselves for the rent of the church for the next year. God provides. We can be inspired, threshold, by these other stories. I want to finish with a final word from Scripture. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will be able to abound in every good work. I want to focus on three things as we lean in here. First of all, it says God loves a cheerful giver. God loves what? A cheerful giver. I was in a church in Los Angeles one time, and they, that, their, their thing was that every time they would announce the offering every week, literally, there'd be a standing ovation. <laughs> we want to be cheerful givers. I love that thought. God wants cheerful givers. You know, one of the things that's happened post-pandemic, all of us have recognized it, I think, you know, you go... The, we used to be accustomed to paying for tips when you'd go to a restaurant and you'd sit down, you'd get fantastic service, you'd say, oh, it's awesome, thank you so much for your great service, and you'd give a nice tip. And, and then now, you, uh, you know, it doesn't kind of matter where you go. Somebody flips the iPad your direction and you're supposed to give a tip, right? When you and I look at that screen flipped around, what is the sense that we have? Oh, I don't really want to give but everybody's seeing what I'm gonna do and the person is watching me, okay, I'll give a nice tip, right? God is saying that's not how the church should operate. We are supposed to be giving, not under compulsion, but joyfully because he loves a cheerful giver. The last sentence says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God will bless you abundantly. Say with me the word abundantly. 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 God is willing to bless us abundantly. Now, I know that so many churches, unfortunately, exaggerate this last part in a way that's unfortunate. There was a, there was a headline in, the New York, in, uh, sorry, in Time Magazine, 2006. I saw it the other day again. And it said, does God want you to be rich? And there's that idea of, okay, well, you know, some people take that to the extreme, and is that really the way we should do things? I like Chesterton's quote. We'll show it up on the screen. Every heresy is a truth taught out of proportion. Does the Bible teach about provision? Yes. Does God say he's going to bless us abundantly? Absolutely. It's there. People are preaching it because it's in the Bible. But they're teaching it out of proportion. Every heresy is a truth taught out of proportion. Let's go to the last slide. This is something that Gabe was going to finish with last week, and I was able to steal. Um, he allowed me to steal, which is great. A great visual that I think represents 2 Corinthians really well. When God gives to us, 
we, we receive. And then we have the opportunity to give to others. So there's a little circle there. When we receive what God gives us and then push it out elsewhere, what does that produce in us? It's joy. It's kind of fun. It's pretty amazing to be part of some of these kingdom projects where God's at work. And then when we do that, it's not for the reason of getting, you know, that big check that we're going to stand up in front of everybody that says, here's how much I gave, here's how much you gave. The reason is so that God can get the glory. God is the hero when we give. When we participate with God, it's fun to be on the winning team. How many of us watch sports and talk in the we? We lost last night. <laughs> really? <laughs> that was a pretty hard game that you spent on the couch, right? <laughs> but we feel this sense of participation. We are with our team. How much more when we're on God's team participating with generosity? So let's lead, read this last promise can I invite all of you to stand as we read the promise before worship? You will be enriched. Read with me, please. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you give us the privilege of participating in generosity in extending generosity to many amazing kingdom causes. Help us to be inspired by others with a healthy sense of competition. Help us to be inspired with the, the goal of being excellent and excelling and giving ourselves. Help us to be inspired by what Jesus has done for us. And help us to be inspired knowing that we're never going to outgive you. Fill us with your spirit to be generous, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.